so let's let's uh, let's make an analogy. Mm-hmm. So you have like the uh, you're gonna bake a cake. Mm-hmm. You have the process where you measure out all the ingredients. Like you've decided what you're gonna make. That's like the songwriting process. You know, you come up with what it's what you want it to be like, and then tracking is like measuring out all your ingredients and getting them all together. Mm-hmm. And then the mixing engineer, you're putting them all together so that the flavors come together in the way that the artist intended from the beginning. I may, maybe this is yeah. a terrible no, analogy. No, no, maybe no, it's, it's great. One. I, I was know. actually going to use a food analogy as well. So I'm, I'm okay. We must both be hungry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Internally, I am completely <laughs> primed to run with this. Um, <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll just make a few changes. This is Rachel Alina. She's a mixing engineer with a pretty incredible resume. More on the long list of musicians that she's worked with a little bit later. We're going to start with our dessert, or at least with the dessert-themed analogy, to give us a little idea of what it is exactly that Rachel Alina does. They've made that decision of what kind of cake they're making, you know, whether it's chocolate with vanilla frosting or buttercream frosting or whatever, you know, those are all things that the artist and the producer, those are decisions that they make. And when, and as a mixing engineer, I will, I will then take the cake. I might say, Hey, we need to add an extra layer of frosting. I might slightly alter the design on top. And, and, and so I, I pick up where they left off. I'm mm-hmm. the one who plates the cake. Um, I, I, nice. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, You're plating the meal. Yeah. I'm plating the meal. I also might sprinkle something else on top or just do something, do a little something that kind of c- completes it. I bring a new perspective. I do small finishing, small finishing changes, but I, but I'm not going to ch- make a decision like, you know what? Buttercream frosting. What were you thinking? You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sure. ultimately change it. You're not changing ingredients. You're just making sure that the all the ingredients come out the way that they're supposed mm-hmm. to, that they can all be perceived. Yeah, exactly. And I might sprinkle a little something extra on top to help that if needed. Like a little <laughs> smoked salt. Yeah, exactly. Or cayenne uh, pepper, on the, actually. On, with, or chi- oh, with, yeah. on chocolate, See, it opens up your taste buds. Now we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> you know, Rachel Alina is a great example of an invisible artist. Her job is to get out of the way. Most of us, when we listen to music, we don't notice the details that the mixing engineer has spent hours and hours refining each instrument, every sound on each track of an album. But her creative work and the work of any mixing engineer is essential to the music that we sometimes so passively enjoy. And Rachel is great at what she does. I'm pretty willing to bet that she's worked on music that you have listened to. She's been in the studio with the likes of Gabriel Garcon Montano, Katy Perry, Pink, Rivers Cuomo, Selena Gomez, King Garbage, Stephen Marley, Elado Negro, Donna Midi, and the list just keeps going and going. Rachel currently works independently. She's mixing records in her studio in Brooklyn, New York. But the path that has led her to this point, the years of her career leading up to where she is today, is marked with guideposts, or even better, lighthouses. That's a term which I pull from Rachel herself, and she'll talk more about that later in the interview. These lighthouses, they're the mentors that she has had along the way. 
My name is Evan McDonald. You're listening to One Thing Real Quick. It's a podcast in search of stories and insights from people who use creativity in practical ways every day. Each week, I bring a single question to a creative leader, maybe a designer or a writer, filmmaker, photographer, musician. In the case of this week, a mixing engineer. And my question for Rachel Alina is, what role has mentorship played in your development as a professional creative? I want to throw one thing out there before we get too much further. Rachel is someone with a lot of experience in a really specialized creative field. She knows what she's talking about, and she's going to speak her native language, which is the language of sound and audio engineering. If something goes over your head, don't worry, you're not alone. I had to look up a lot of this stuff after the interview was conducted. Just keep in mind that the greater theme here, this idea of mentorship, applies, I believe, to any creative field. So we'll get started right away with her story at the point of Rachel's graduation from Berklee College of Music in Boston. Right when I graduated, I I had one of those magic thing, things happen where I had listed a five-year plan and it all happened in three weeks. And my plan was so legit. Everyone was behind it, you know, my teachers. And I, and I was very diligent. I was always, you know, I, I always had a good plan. And I was going to move to L.A., you know, because you moved to New York, Nashville, or L.A. I decided to go down, go down to the shore town where I grew up and hang out with my parents for a little bit before I moved to the other side of the country. And, and basically, Shelly Yakis, who is a brilliant, legendary engineer, who is Jimmy Iovine's right-hand man for over a decade, um, Shelly had started working out of a studio that was sort of in the swamps, um, just just inland from where I grew up. And, and it was also about 45 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Um, and Shelly needed a new assistant, so... I started working for Shelly, and I got schooled very early on. Now, if you don't know this name, Shelly Yakis is on no uncertain terms a legend in the music and sound engineering world. Credits to his engineering and mixing work go back to the late 60s. Now, as a warning, this episode is about to get real name droppy. So if you have kids in the room, please use discretion. They're going to hear all these names that you're going to hear, and they probably won't recognize them, so you might start to feel a little bit old. Okay, so I'm just going to read this list, and it's by no means all-inclusive. Stevie Nicks, Tom Petty, U2, Alice Cooper, Cher, B.B. King, Stan Getz, John Lennon. The list goes on and on. Multiple albums engineered or mixed or both for all these artists and just so many more. Now, as you can imagine, stepping off the graduation stage from Berkeley College of Music and into the studio with Shelly Yakis, it's hard to find a better mentor. Rachel worked full-time with Shelly for a year, and then off and on for the year after that as she transitioned to nearby Philadelphia. So I moved into Philadelphia. I started making Gorilla Records on like half-inch eight-tracks in a row house in South Philly with like man-man practicing next door. It was a wild time in Philadelphia when like Diplo was having his Hollertronics parties and, uh, you know, sure. and you would like go to go to an MC open mic and like, it's like, is that Questlove sitting down at the drums? And it was just, Amos, Amos <laughs> Lee was just getting signed. And then I was a staff engineer for a little while in Philly too. And I did live sound in clubs and stuff too. And I just, 
I realized that I was getting sort of a, I was getting sort of a reputation of being good. Um, from my point of view, my abilities versus what I wanted to be doing. When, when I would finish a mix, I'd be like, this isn't nearly what I want it to be. How can I have this reputation right. of being good? And I just felt like I was a big fish in a little pond in Philly. So I decided that I was going to throw everything in my car and move to L.A. And in L.A., I, I again had this like magic luck where my first session in L.A. was on Katy Perry's One of the Boys. And I it was working for uh, a producer named Greg Wells, who was also a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant producer and musician. I stayed at Greg's for about a year, even though I wasn't really resonating with th- with that recording element. Um, but I just, Greg and I just got along so well as people, and I just love him so much as a human um, that we just loved working together. And the thing that I learned hanging around for that was the was really the creative process I think like Greg Greg kind of taught me the craft of creativity um Shelly taught me how to listen and then Greg taught me how to be creative um but then but then from there I stopped working for Greg and and I was like okay so wait what's next Rachel I'm just an east coast kid so I decided to come back and I started working with Henry Hirsch upstate in Hudson and he had this beautiful analog studio and it was the first time I ever experienced he had this old Helios console. I want to put these new players in our story into context. Greg Wells, this is the guy that Rachel worked with closely when she was in Los Angeles. Greg is a producer and a musician. He's an engineer. He's like this mega music polymath. He has performance credits for all these different instruments, bass, drums, keys, guitar, and and a bunch of other stuff too. He's got songwriting credits and engineering and producer and composer credits, all told well over 100 albums. He's worked with Adele and Keith Urban, Katy Perry, and way too many to name here on this episode of our little podcast. He was nominated for a lot of Grammys, and he was awarded a Grammy for his work on the soundtrack for The Greatest Showman. And then there's Henry Hirsch, who Rachel went to work with up in upstate New York. He's a producer and engineer who's worked with Mono, Mick Jagger, Lenny Kravitz, Madonna, and Michael Jackson. Once again, a huge list to which we've barely scratched the surface. With Henry, that was when I learned the roots of my recording. You know, that was when I learned really not technically how the Beatles made their records, but creatively, as musically, as musicians. Following Rachel's time working with Henry Hirsch, she began transitioning to being more independent. She was taking on more and more of her own projects, mixing records in her apartment in Hudson. And then she spent some time working in Miami with Stephen Marley and others in the reggae scene eventually mostly settling in Brooklyn, where she mostly is today. These days, her schedule's packed with mixing projects, some personal creative work, there's some poetry, which we'll, we'll talk about that a little later in the episode. And then she's also teaching at Berklee College of Music. Each week, she takes the train to Boston and spends a day teaching alongside some of the best in the music industry. For example, Prince Charles Alexander, who was Puffy's engineer for years, and he's got multiple Grammys, Sean Slade, who worked on Radiohead's first album. I mean, this place turns out people like Quincy Jones and Amy Mann and St. Vincent and Brad Whitford and 
And after teaching for a day each week at this music school, she returns to her Brooklyn-based studio to mix records. Now, this grueling routine is made in large part possible by a daily meditation practice, which, I mean, we could have just made this conversation all about meditation. She's got a lot to say on the subject. But the more Rachel and I talked, the more and more I could see how her ideas about mentorship and her view of what a mentor is, how this has been such an important pillar in her creative career. And so now that we've told Rachel's story, how she became the mixing engineer that she is today, I want to start to uncover some of Rachel's ideas, some of her insights about mentorship, how to be a mentor, how to receive mentorship. And we'll hear what I believe is probably the most important function of a mentor. But first, a message from our sponsor. Libro.fm is supporting this episode of One Thing Real Quick and supporting your audio entertainment habit as well by offering listeners to this podcast two free audiobooks when you sign up using the offer code OTRQ. That's OTRQ as in the initials for One Thing Real Quick. Now, I genuinely love these guys, mostly because they support local independent businesses. You see, with Libro.fm, when you open your account, which, by the way, offers the same selection of audiobooks as the other guys at the same price, with audiobook credits that never expire, even if you cancel your subscription, which in and of itself is a good enough reason to check out their service. Uh, what, I, what I was saying before, though, when you open your account, you get to pick from among thousands of independent bookstores nationwide, pick your favorite bookstore. And each time you make a purchase through the Libro.fm service, you get audiobooks and a brick and mortar bookstore of your choice gets a cut of the sale. So go now, get their listening app, it's free, and then go to Libro.fm and use the offer code OTRQ and get three audiobooks for the price of one. You've talked about these stages in your career from Berkeley to Shelley to Greg to Henry to freelance mm -hmm. and and it's like you mark each of these things from your formal training years to your being more independent as a freelancer. Mm -hmm. You mark each one of those stages by the mentor that was a part of that process, Shelly, Greg, and Henry. And and I'm also curious how this idea of mentorship has continued because I know that you are teaching at Berkeley right now. So you are essentially acting as a form of mentor in a, in a formal setting and so on. I am in a place right now that I hope to never leave. Actually. Uh, I, I hope that this isn't, I mean, I can't see it as, as being like, you're not in transition. Yeah. I hope that I stay here at, at where I'm, I'm a mentor and I also still look to mentors you know, like I'm on faculty at, at Berkeley now. Um, and it's and, and it's interesting because it is a small part of my life because I'm still very much so in my career. Um, and I think and honestly, I've taken it as um, as a woman in a man's profession. I just sort of felt a responsibility to make myself available as a mentor. Um, when I realized that I like I spoke on a panel of women in the music industry at a girls club on the Lower East Side and 
these, and it was one of those things, you know, where I love, I love these, I have many of these moments in my life that I can think of where I think that I'm going to like be an inspiration or something, you know, or I'm going to help or whatever, you know? Um, and I just, I just leave utterly changed <laughs> by, yeah. you know, by the person that I thought I was going to help. It's like being on both sides of the mentorship, being a mentor, being a mentee. <laughs> yeah. Both, both sides of that equation add to, to you as a, as a professional and as a, just as a human. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just left that day feeling forever changed by how brilliant these and, and and I can't even really say young women because some of these girls were like 10 years old. And then, you know, and the discussions that we were having just completely just blew me away. And I realized that I had never had a woman mentor and that maybe that meant something. It's not just for women. It's for men, too. You know, I have an eye towards inclusivity always. And I th- had to accept that I am an important piece of that puzzle and to make myself available. That's, I mean, it's why I carve time out of what is a very busy schedule um, for, for mentorship and, and to spend time at Berkeley and, and it's so worth it. You know, I, I mean the, everything about Berkeley is incredible. Like the faculty, the students, uh, it, they have a fantastic president, Roger Brown, who's just an inspiration everything about it. Whatever I do, it's just flooding my world with light and inspiration and these brilliant people that I get to work with. Like I'm on faculty with Susan Rogers, who is the woman who recorded Purple Rain, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, that's talk about having, you know, so like I see her in the office and I just look to her as, and so many, so like I'm really all of the faculty at Berkeley, I look to and I just admire them so much. Um, so I, I feel in a very real way that I'm still being mentored and just from my community, you know, I mean, and even the community of other people working in the basement where my studio is, they're just these brilliant producers and songwriters and musicians. And, um, so I'm constantly asking them, what are you doing? And it's, it's interesting that I've sort of joined this community of peers. I'm, I'm finding myself a, a peer to these people that I admire so strongly. Um, yeah. And but um, but I still I feel as though, yes, I'm mentoring and I'm also still receiving mentorship. And and I hope that that will always be the case now. You know, if if anything, maybe I just go back to just just receiving mentorship, not teaching anymore, you know, but but I hope that they both will always exist for me in my life. What advice would you give to someone that that may ask? Let's just say the question is, how do I go about finding a mentor? Um, well, I think one thing would be to recognize that it's everywhere, you know, um, there, there, there have definitely been days in New York city when I'm just in my head and in my feelings and walking around pretty grumpy, you know, and someone's nice to me in, in the, in the store when I'm going to buy coffee or whatever, something happens that causes a shift in me and causes an opening and helps me to catch myself. You know, it, it helps me. And that person in that moment is a mentor. There are mentors everywhere. I, my father is a great mentor to me in terms of just personal integrity. Um, my mother is a great mentor to me in, in terms of just 
wild passion <laughs> and just you know, fighting for people, you know? <laughs> and then in the moments that I need the mentorship of, of the quiet passion and fighting for people, then I look back to my dad, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know? And it's nice to have that contrast <laughs> so close at hand. They're, they're, they're a good team. They're a good team. Um, and, 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 you know, to be honest, what I would actually call my very first mentor in terms of a person that I looked to and I thought, this is what I do. Not Shelly or Berkeley or Craig. It was when I saw the Andy Goldsworthy documentary, Rivers and Tides. And I watched that and I saw his process. And Andy Goldsworthy is an installation artist who works in nature. And time plays a big role in his work. And what happens to this work that you make in nature over time and how does it change? And sometimes the thing that brings a piece to life will ultimately be the thing that causes it, that causes its destruction as well. Um, when I saw, when I, the first time that I saw that documentary, <laughs> and this is not a thing to say as I make records, um, but I thought that's what I, this is what I do. This is because he talks about intuitively having this interaction with the materials. And to me, it's intuitively having an interaction with music. And letting the song take shape and letting the track take take shape um, rather than I'm trying to control everything. You know, it's like I'm moving with it and I'm interacting with it. Um, so I would almost say that Andy Goldsworthy is really my, my first mentor. The mentors in my life, be it the direct mentorship um, from Shelley or from Greg or from Henry, um, or indirect mentorship, just, you know, some like an artist that I admire, like Andy Goldsworthy, um, or, you know, the person at the store. All of those, those are all giving me a place where I'm not alone, where this person goes through the same thing that I go through. They think about the same things that I think about. We're on the same path together. So I think really mentorship has given me a home. It's given me a place that I can stay and because I stayed, I'm still making records. Um, so I think I think mentorship just it's the community. It gives us a home. A lot of times when we think about a mentor, we think about an individual mm -hmm. um, and that like one on one. But what you've shared with us is that you see mentorship as being broader than that. It's mm -hmm. it's the community that you're in. It's your environment. It's all these things. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Um, I also kind of think of it as lighthouses a little bit. I think about lighthouses in terms of people as lighthouses a lot and trying to like learn to keep the light on. Um, but then there are times that I'm the one who's lost and I need to find a lighthouse, you know. So when I can, when I'm able to, I keep my light on. And if I'm in a moment where I'm lost at sea, then I look for somebody who is able to keep their light on at that given time. So it's a back and forth type of thing. So, and it always exists within community, you know, and I also, I'm the, I'm the type of person who, I think I said this earlier too, I, I fight for inclusivity always, you know, I'm very much so like, we're all in this together. Could we stop pretending like we're not and just fight for each other? And, and I think that, I mean, as a mentor, there's so many parts of making albums 
that I was up all night and I didn't know what to do and this microphone or that microphone or like this sub bass or that sub bass or how, like, you know, what's my LUFS or whatever it is, you know, um, that I've been back and forth on and what's the thing. And through that process, I've come to a really grounded place of this is what the answer is. Like I did the dance. And when I'm making myself available as a mentor, I, I see the people that I'm working with, you know, like the younger producers and engineers, I see them going through that process and I could tell them the answer, like quote unquote answer. And sometimes I do tell them like, well, this is what I've come to, you know, they might come to something totally different and that's, and that works for them. Yeah. So I, so as I provide, as I offer mentorship, I, I understand that in, in the, in the people that I'm working with. So it's not like I'm telling someone what to do or I'm showing them the way or, you know, cause we're all different. And I always encourage sure. people who are working for me to, to do your own thing. Like I'm interested in what you're doing. You know, I know what I right. do. So when it comes to mentorship, you're not trying to make little use like, like in terms of mentoring, I'm interested in what this person is going to do. I'm interested in how they surprise me and what they create and what they do, you know? And like, yeah, maybe they pick up some tricks for me that they end up using. Maybe there's something that I do all the time and the lesson to them is, well, I definitely wouldn't do that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so so even if people that I'm mentoring do things differently, you know, it's not that I'm teaching them to be me. I'm just, this is the path. I'm walking the path, you know, like hop on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but we think of mentorship in this very narrow lane. We think about the same craft because even like people who work in music, there's the person who's the manager and there's the person who's the vocal producer. And, you know, there are all these different roles. But when I say that Andy Goldsworthy, even like just from his documentary, I would consider a certain indirect mentorship because I saw that as, you know, and again, in my terminology as a lighthouse, um, but that's the creative process there is the same. That's the sameness. With Henry, like the actual making of the records was the sameness. With Greg, again, like really the creative process in music was was the sameness. With Shelley, it was a direct, the mixing was the sameness, you know? Um, yeah, so so it really is. So it's it's the community and it's that it's that resting point. It's that sort of safe harbor type of thing. This idea about community, all of us supporting each other, I, I really hope that idea stuck. She said something I find really profound, and I want to repeat it. She asked, can we all just fight for each other? That, that right there is what we should be looking for in mentors and what we should be looking for in creative communities to stick up for each other, to just fight for each other. Rachel's become the creative person she is today because she curated mentors of all different kinds. People like Shelley Yakis, Greg Wells, and Henry Hirsch. And then inspirations like Andy Goldsworthy and even those positive interactions she has on the street or in a coffee shop. And she's part of a community, a place that she calls home. We're starting to blur the lines a bit here between mentorship and inspiration. And yes, I know inspiration is a different thing, but the thing I personally find compelling about Rachel's view is that there's this openness and it allows inspiration to be a kind of mentor. Now we had this interview, Rachel and I, almost two weeks ago. And then just the other day, she sent me this voice note. 
I'm not really going to preface it with I'll, I'll just play it for you. Hi, Evan. It's Rachel Alina. I've been thinking about our conversation on mentorship, my description of it as home, and the metaphor of lighthouses, and realized that for me, the conversation can't be complete without something a meditation teacher told me once, which is that a candle is lit by another flame. And that's all. You've got some poetry coming out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let's talk about it. Yeah, and this is actually a great... Uh, it's kind of a great segue, too, because I'm publishing a book of poems called Locals. Um, and it's a short form. They're Polaroid poems. And it's really about the first summer... It's about that first summer after I graduated from Berkeley and I started working for Shelly Yakis. Um, and it's about that time in my life at really like the bird, like the birth of my craft, really, um, and learning how to make records in the studio. Um, and yeah, and, and during that time, I was working with an artist named Bertie Bush and we went to the studio one day and we recorded some songs with one microphone and those songs are being released with it. Um, and a wonderful illustrator, Ashley smistad Velez. She's incredible, and she illustrated the book. Um, she did an original illustration to every of my Polaroid poems, so it's like 80 of them. Wow. Yeah, and it's, and it's a book, and, and it's, the, it, it's a book about, about community, you know, and about this community where I learned how to make, where I learned, that I learned to make records in, and, it's, and I also did that at a time where I was living in the town that I grew up in. So it's also about, about, about home and being local to a place. And, but more importantly, it's about being local to people and to music and to a craft. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful little collection. It's called Locals. It's out on Styles Upon Styles, May 24th. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> Great. Yeah. We'll, we'll put a link to information in the show notes so people can go check it out. Um, and uh, yeah, congratulations. That's really exciting. Thank you. If you're looking for a mentor or you know what, if you want to be a mentor yourself, start a conversation with someone about it. I'm always amazed at the response I get when I reach out to someone basically randomly, someone whose work I admire. A direct, personalized compliment its a great way to open a dialogue, which could potentially lead to a mentoring relationship. I hope after listening to this that we're all a little more likely to reach upwards in search of mentorship from the people that we admire, but also that we're willing to reach down to those who might be in need of a mentor. Rachel talked a little bit about this, this idea of being a mentor to someone else and how that can be an incredibly rewarding exchange. And you know what, no matter how much experience you have, there is someone behind you looking for a lighthouse. So be that for someone else. Check out the show notes for links to Rachel's website and to her new book, which comes out this month. Definitely check that out. Follow One Thing Real Quick on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at OTRQ Podcast. 
please say hi. Tell us what you think. If you're new to this podcast, thanks for checking it out. This is our 16th episode, which means we've got a growing catalog of conversations, kind of like this one, all focused on a different idea about creativity. This is an independent podcast created by me, Evan McDonald. John M. Craig is our associate producer. Music by yours truly. Share the show with someone. And please, if you enjoyed the show, take 45 seconds to write us a review. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really helps the show. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. My name is Evan McDonald. Until next time. Rachel, one last thing before we let you go. What are you reading? Do you have any books that you'd recommend? Um, Right now, I am reading a few things, and I always tend to have a few books running. Um, I'm reading Alan Watts' book, Nature, Man, Woman, which is wonderful. Anything Alan Watts is wonderful. Um, I'm also reading um, the autobiography of Malcolm X, as told by Alex Haley, or as told to Alex Haley. Uh, And that's something that I would strongly recommend anyone read. It's brilliant. Nice. I'll check those out.